0: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And if you did not catch the game last night, Lakers lost 110-96, to and you're listening to our humble podcast as a way of figuring out, you know, what went on last night. It was bad. Um, About as bad as the energy and vibes have been all season. Mike, you asked me yesterday a tangible thing that I wanted to see going into this stretch in January. And the top line item for me was organized offense. The Lakers then go out and turn the ball over 10 times in the first quarter, uh, tying a franchise record. They shoot 14% from three, uh, which I think was the worst mark at a certain volume of any uh, game this season. And Miami's zone defense flummoxed them to a point where at the end of the game, Stu Lance, who's seen how many thousands, tens of thousands of basketball games, said, I've never seen an NBA game that had that much zone in it. And then afterward, James Worthy was ripping them just about what an unacceptable
2: performance it was.
1: Mike, they looked dispirited and disorganized. It was a rough look on TV. What was your perspective from up close?
2: Yeah, all of that, except that being there in the Building and then in the post game locker room just amplified it more because you can the it's it's weird sometimes to tie the lack of whatever it was energy or genic quad something just something was missing to start the game and it just kept compounding itself and I think that the Miami Heat were a particularly rough opponent in this context. Uh, and in their unconventionality, even though they've run this zone in some aspects for years, you know, under Spolster, the way that it was kind of unleashed to to play out against what some of the Lakers weaknesses are at the moment. um, And especially when energy wasn't being applied to the solutions, it was 10 first quarter turnovers, which was a record that the Lakers have. So speaking of Stu Lance talking about the zone and him never seeing that much, that was the most turnovers they've ever had in the first quarter. And that is crazy. It was just some of the turnovers were like, not even necessarily the zone, just, you know, one, I, I remember Max Christie just looking at LeBron and then just kind of like bouncing the ball on the ground when the defender was stepping in front, just crazy type of turnovers uh, that kept building. And, and so that we can talk about the micro, but the, the larger part of this, Pete, is coming off of that road trip. There were all of these ready-made excuses for the team that we've talked about and many of them valid. Like the Lakers had played the most back-to-backs in the league. They had played the most road games to that point. They had played uh, the most difficult part of the schedule by having to ramp LeBron up to a playoff level um, in the in-season tournament. And all of these things that had been true and they had been playing tough opponents, um, they had just gone to OKC. And by the way, won and played well. A team that has been murdering uh, groups, uh, including Boston last night. Since then, and Minnesota, and like so, like the basketball was still, even though they were losing some games, there was a a level of competition, and you know a couple of things missing and injuries, but they it wasn't that bad. And the the way that January was built, and part of this is by me and other reporters asking leading questions along these lines. But hey, once you get home, right, then it's that's time to cook that's time to start to get back in the wind column and to to just galvanize and to play better and to find ways to work as a unit. And then when they come out and play like that, that's, that's what I mean about the energy. It's just kind of, it's not this was not the back-to-back that was on the road the three game and four nights in fact they had two days off before the game and so for it to happen in that context that's where the alarm bells start to go off early in the game and then they don't get better um, as the game goes on except for anthony davis who was spectacular again destroyed bam he had 29 17 six five and three uh and yeah, and so yeah and so he he was able to bring it and, you know, I thought Austin actually from an energy standpoint brought it pretty well. Um, but but like as a team, the lack of cohesion and connectiveness, Pete, was stark.
1: And the basketball gods can have a sense of humor in that respect because there's no team that – has deeper roots in that way of cohesiveness and and knowing what their system is than Miami, right? And so you see two teams kind of on the opposite ends of this spectrum of this constantly shifting lineup. We changed our offense, our base running lanes at the very least to beginning begin the season. And part of the reason why Stu Lance ends that game saying I've never seen an NBA game with that much zone in it is because and he spoke about this too when you you did a hit with him on uh, on air and he was like, well zones are kind of a surprise defense. And the very nature of zones is that they give up shots. They concede particular looks that you just have to figure out how to get to them. And most of the time teams can figure out how to get to them in ways where the first couple possessions that you run at zones have a lot more value, but there's a diminishing returns to it because eventually you figure out the Rubik's cube. We never did. And that I think is a bit of an indictment of the coaching staff. Um, And that's something that That's why you don't see teams stay in zones for that long. And so seeing the team look that out of sorts, we have two starters that don't even score a point. Every guy that played for Miami, Mike, scored 10, and they didn't have Jimmy, right? And so this is something that is a great test case of some sort. To me of like on one side, you have a team that doesn't have their big dog, but they are able to still do what they do, run what they run. And he wasn't the only guy that they had out. Right. But they looked like they knew what they were doing. And then on the other side of the floor on offense, like we didn't look like we were knew what we were doing as well. And then that seeps into the defensive end. A lot, and so Mike. I one of these days it might be an off-season story, but I spent one year as a once-a-week assistant in, for a coach that the situation went really south, and it was just a disastrous type of year. Uh, and there's a point where with that, like lineups and the micro stuff, uh, the the schemes and all of that, if players' energy and belief level and just that sort of spirit that they carry themselves with, if that isn't there, it doesn't really matter what scheme that you're running at that point. You need to have sort of a, a fundamental change to get back to where you, you want to be. And so that to me was the most concerning part of last night, Mike. We had two two games off. We had a practice. Miami, Miami's been running this zone for years. And that to me is something that if you can't look organized against that, I think that's an, that's an indictment of what you've been doing.
2: Yeah, it is. There, there are a couple things. One, just LeBron himself typically to me can organize and kind of just, oh, that's his own. Okay. You go here, you go there, here, let's break this or I'll do it myself. And LeBron was off yesterday, right? LeBron was six for 18 from the yeah. field. He was over six from three. Uh, he, you know, from an assist to turnover ratio, he was fine. He was nine to two um, that in a game where the Lakers had 22 turnovers like that wasn't his specific problem but he was a team worse minus 20 and the, you know, the effectiveness wasn't as there as much defensively um, either, even though Miami did not play particularly great until the fourth quarter on offense. It, it just, that wasn't a great LeBron game. And so that's, that's one part. Then if you look at, so two starters and the starting lineup has changed for a third straight game. And, you know, again, part of this with Hachimura and Russell both out, but you know, nonetheless, Torian Prince and Cam Reddish both go scoreless. you, you know, we watch a lot of games. We check a lot of box scores. You don't see two starters go scoreless very often, mm-hmm. if ever. Uh, I Maybe it's happened another time this year. Uh, I haven't seen it for, from a Lakers standpoint. I, I'd have to check and see if it happened for another team. But, you know, Reddish only took one shot in its 18 minutes. Prince took six, five of them were threes. They were all misses. And, it's hard to square those two things at the same time. Like on the one LeBron playing 38 minutes and scoring 12 points uh, and struggling to that degree. And then having two starters while you have two other starters actually play pretty well, even if it was mostly in, in sort of either in Austin's case, solo attack mode and finding a way to get his own shot. uh, And although he did have some good passes and then AD was the one that started to break the zone at certain points. And Miami was just like, "Ah, we're still going to stick with it anyway, you know, and and that's let alone what was happening off of the bench. So it's just a <clears throat> I asked a couple of guys after the game about the lack of cohesion and Austin, I thought, had the right answer in that. Yeah, you know, sure. Can be different rotations. Guys can be hurt. It's still our job to go out and play well, no matter what's going on like that this is a little bit what you were alluding to pete is that no matter what the lineup is no matter what the scheme is like it's nba basketball these guys are nba basketball players and it has to be better than that so that's true and yet i think the systemic issue with the the changes in not just the rotation and the lineups and the the schemes that there it's just hit a, a boiling point where there's just some level of confusion out there um and the miami zone again compounded that But there, I don't know that a player on the team, if if you asked, could just tell them this is what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, with uh, with what the groups are. Some of that has been forced upon uh, upon the team, and some of it has been by by the constant tinkering and just not being able to decide what the group is and what the style is. And that
1: leaves Lakers in a pretty discombobulated place. So let's take a break. Uh, Keep talking about it. What's next? What come we've got the uh Memphis Grizzlies, a different team than the team that we've faced prior uh with Jawback. Uh we've got a stretch of games coming up against solid to good teams that if we play like that, that was a game, Mike, where the first half I spent the entirety of it. How are we only down by blank? Because the only reason we were even close in that game is because Miami wasn't playing that great, particularly on offense. Duncan Robinson could not hit a shot. They had a lot of like open looks and then it's funny in the fourth quarter and this is i think part of our some of our more permanent issues is the thing that we found that started to really work against their zone was ad and wood uh high low type of stuff especially when you can't shoot you know that is a way to to exploit the the types of zones that they were running but then you have a foot speed issue right and we had a hard time getting out to three-point shooters in the wood and ad type of lineups and so We've got some teams coming up, Mike. That uh, if we can't get on on track, um, then there's going to be some difficulty. And so, what what's how do you get out of this, Mike? How what is the how do you get out of this sort of uh, this sort of malaise that the team is in?
2: Well, I want to layer in one other part of this, even though I was the one that just told you let's do a what happens next thing. Because as you were as you were discussing this, (laughs) well, here's Uh the here's the larger problem. Just look at the Western Conference, and (laughs) I mean the Lakers very suddenly went from being in season tournament champions and kind of in that battle for a top four seed to now they're 10th. And in some ways, like actually I need, I need to update that page because they might even be 11th. Okay. No. So they're essentially tied with golden state right in the 10, 11 spot. And the teams ahead of them are for the most part playing very good basketball um, and are cohesive. And so there's, there's now a pretty good amount of separation between the lakers who are 5 games back of the 4 seed uh which is the clippers and and the nuggets, the thunder, the, the wolves of course, well ahead of that pace. Then you've got a team that's not playing particularly well right now uh in sacramento but is 7 games over 500. You got new orleans who is playing great. Uh they just smashed minnesota in minnesota after destroying the lakers. They are uh they are now also 7 games over 500. Um you've got dallas who is is not playing well either, but has Luca. they are five games over 500. Houston is the team. I think that could drop some. They're in the eight spot. And then Phoenix is playing much better uh, since Beal got back. And as I say that Kevin Durant is hurt and missed the last two. And so that they are just, they're about the only team that's been as injured as the Lakers. So golden state is playing better. They've won six of 10 while the Lakers have lost eight of 10. And that's, that's the picture. And so, the whole idea going into this season, I think, that we were discussing was, hey, the Lakers just made it to the Western Conference Finals. They probably at least got a little bit better based on the idea of what Gabe Vincent was going to be and if a couple of the vet main hits and that kind of thing. And, hey, they can, they can be a solid team this year, at least not, not in a position where they were last year where they're fighting for the plan. And then I think if you just stop right now and you look at the standings, oh, wait, they might be fighting for the plan again already you know even if they mm-hmm. even if they have a great January which is now started in the wrong way and we were thinking hey if they go 10 and 5 and all of a sudden you know they're five games over 500 again and they're kind of right they're, but they're still going to be on the borderline then and that that to me now to beg to peg sort of like the question of what do you do about it and that I think it just becomes harder because the whole point of the season and of LeBron's year 21 and this push is to Can the Lakers get in a position to really make a run to try and win the title? Like that was the conversation. And now if you're going to have to just fight again to get into that playoff position and mix, uh, not that they can't get out of it, Pete. There's there are things that can happen. We're going to talk about it. But that changes that whole story that I think we had built about how do you actually win in the postseason? And it's by not taxing LeBron and secondarily A.D. uh, in a regular season to the point where uh, they're playing must win basketball in January and February, and so there you go. That's just adding a little bit of doom and gloom in the yep. context of the Western Conference to the fix. And uh, I, I now I want to just see if you are on that page with me uh, before we talk about where they go next.
1: Yeah. So that is one of the comforts that I take, Mike, with respect to. There are so many teams that make some version of the postseason that, and we've done the plan a couple of times before that. We can, I, I think, getting there, getting to the the point where you're in the final eight uh, after the play-in tournament is over. I think that that's that's still a very reachable goal. Um, and at that point, your record resets. And if nothing else, last season should show us the degree to which a season can flip. Now, I'm less optimistic at this point than I was even a year ago. As odd as that would have sounded a year ago, because. Like I kept saying, $66 million in expiring contracts can get you a lot of player in the modern NBA. The Lakers do not have that this year. And so there isn't a massive roster overhaul. overhaul. But I, while I do think that there are some roster changes needed, it's the the earlier, more core problem is that this group is not connected. This group is not coordinated and cohesive. And you can get that out of a a middle school team. You can get that out of a high school team. That is not something that is related specifically just to the talent that you have. And But there's been a series of decisions that have not gone the way that I think that we've wanted them to, that have led us to this place where it seems so lost and discombobulated, but we've never tried the thing that worked last year too. And so in terms of like going forward, to me, the ace in the hole right now is go back to not only the starting group from last year, because this isn't just a a lineup thing. It's very easy to just focus on that. But but also the running lanes, going back to the four out type of style. This is something that everybody had a level of natural fish to water type of comfort with that the offense all season, Mike, like I want to describe it as constipated. You know, like everything looks such a struggle, you know? And, and it's such a, like, just viscerally, it looks so hard for so many guys that I think that that's a sign of a, of a broader issue that, and this is something that can be fairly easily changed. So in terms of where do we go from here, I do think we have a, well, we could try the thing that worked last year, <laughs> still at our disposal, which is good, but uh, but uh we're in a rough spot, man.
2: You know, I was just debating how much I want to talk about your constipation reference. Uh It's just a <laughs> Which I enjoy. I, you know, yes. I, I've got a lot of flaws physically, uh, you know, really bad back I had a back surgery in 2004, stuff like that, but do have a smooth system, you know, so that, that is one thing that, yeah, that, oh. that I, I don't know why I'm sharing. Breaking news here on the yeah. LFR pod, you
1: Mike Trudel is yeah.
2: Constipation has not been one of the issues that I have physically. So, um, so I guess that's <laughs> good. And I, I'm using it to, to turn this positively for the Lakers and that, yes, they do have a group and they have enough players on the roster that can play a certain way because they've shown it before in the highest level. And I, I think the mitigating factor for that is, is a bit about what I was just discussing and it's LeBron and it's the year 21 and it's how do you, when you have Reeves and Russell out there together. Um, and in this case, it would be Vanderbilt, right? That would be in there for Prince. Then you are asking a certain amount of LeBron defensively, um, and you know, in uh, in the back line, like low man rotations, and that's not that you haven't been doing that with other certain lineup con- you know constructions so far. Go ahead,
1: Mike. Let's just not suck on offense. Yeah, to start out with, right? Like if, we, if we, you know what I'm saying, like this seems like a, a reachable goal to get to, of which your concern is certainly. There, but like we've been bad on offense all year to a degree that like, I, it, like we can get there later down the line with LeBron making the playoff level rotations. So, here, so and here's where like that, I'm, you know? I'm
2: with you though. Like I'm, I would, I'm, I would go to that also. Um, or or even if you want to have it be like Princeton for Russell or something. But like the to me it was the sure. like reddish is the guy that has been struggling some and and he doesn't provide what Vanderbilt does. Uh, in terms of energy and just go and go and finding who the best guy is to guard and letting him do that and not having him switch like let Vanderbilt do the thing that makes him special um, the thing that makes him be why is he in the NBA because he is extremely athletic and big while still being quick you know and therefore he can guard all types of dudes and give them hell and make Brandon Ingram and Luca not just be like this mother like this guy no like just that's that's what he can do and then when he's the one one guy on offense that is that whether he's in the ducker spot or even he's in the corner sometimes like that's okay uh, be, the teams aren't really guarding and worried about Cam reddish either um and so that that either either way it's like it's either it's it's um Prince in if you want for shooting and this purpose or if it's Lo and then you're you're not you're losing a little bit defensive but either way like both of those two groups I think could work and so pick which one was uh, will and then stick with it you know and and it, I guess the sticking with it part has been tough because guys have been are being injured so often that they literally haven't been able to stick with one group in the uh, most recently of course it's it's Rui um who started the game and then Russell but that's that's one thing to then bring it around with what I was saying about LeBron, I just don't know that it's going to be as effective as it was in the postseason, in the first two rounds or later on in March and April, because of that LeBron factor of the fact that it's January and you have to get through the whole season and he had to ramp up his body in November, December. That's, that's the only part of it. I'm saying, I I think it's going to be a better solution than what's been going on so far, but I I also don't think that it's going to be having the Lakers playing, you know, at the same level as the top teams in the West right now.
1: Certainly not. But, I do think it serves as a necessary necessary foundation, right? Like when watching this team against Miami, again, at different ends of that spectrum in terms of cohesion, just having a degree of guys that know how to play with each other and not be discombobulated in the process of that, I think is super important. So let's take another break, and uh, we'll keep it going.
2: All right. So as the NBA turns, Lakers don't have to sit on this for too long. At least they get to get back to the basketball court uh, and face a Memphis Grizzlies team that is interesting at the moment, Pete. So the big the big boost that they got was getting John ja Morant um, after game twenty five and they started playing well uh, immediately. And like Jaw was even better than you might have expected. And then they've, they've since come back to earth a little bit, you know, in their last couple as after that initial excitement, uh, because they, you know, they do have some other flaws. And so here, so Ja has been back now since the, I want to say it's the, yeah, the 19th and they won four straight games upon his return. New Orleans, Indiana, Atlanta and New Orleans again, including two wins at New Orleans. Then. The last five games, they have lost four of the five. And the only win was against a San Antonio team that is certainly struggling right now. And the losses were Denver and the Clippers, understandable Um, home against Sacramento. They got crushed 123 to 92. And then Toronto, they most recently lost again at home. So they are, they are actually coming in and you might have think, Oh, Jaws back. They've got some wins, but they, you know, they are not a team that has it all figured out again. The last time that they faced the Lakers though. They got crushed. Uh, we all remember that game. Anthony Davis has referred to it. And a lot of the players are there, but it's a it's they're catching the Lakers at a what what for them probably looks like they're licking their chops like a get right game. Oh, Lakers killed us last year. They're struggling. They just got smashed by man. Let's go in and, and kick their ass. Right. So it's it's an interesting team from a it's not like Miami where they're going to be super drilled down and know exactly what they're doing. And they're going to be in a zone for half the game, but they're going to have a a John Morant that's super engaged. They're going to have a Jaron Jackson Jr. Who's going to want to play better than he did against Anthony Davis last year. So Pete, with this team coming in, how do you see the Lakers coming off of a game that they just had?
1: I think it's an opportunity for the Lakers to get right. Right. Just as you said, Memphis looks at us as that. They're also that for us and that a lot of their best offensive gravity goes toward the rim and they are, Whereas Miami really spread us out offensively in that fourth quarter, and so this this Lakers team it, it can be um, is is more vulnerable to that from a foot speed type of standpoint. Whereas Jaw's going toward the rim, right? They've got JJJ who spreads the floor, right? But they, they've got a lot of their action, it, you know, goes toward the basket as opposed to looking to spread you out in a five out type of style, and so a guy like Anthony Davis is a great antidote to a John Morant getting downhill and that style of play. But the the Lakers offensively, that's what I'm super curious about is how do we look against a Memphis team that we looked great against in the in-season tournament. And so the roster obviously has the capability of that. But Mike, one thing we barely touched on in that Miami game is the the three-point shooting, right? And so to me, it's we have our ongoing discussion, right, which I'm not trying to get into, but it's more symptomatic of a lack of rhythm, the three-point shooting, than it is a a matter of talent and things like that. But Memphis is a team that is looking to protect the rim, is looking to take away the areas where the Lakers offense is more productive. And so it's a game where we're going to have to hit shots. That was the game, Mike, where we tied the franchise record with 22 threes against Memphis in the, the last time we played them. And so our three ball falling is going to be something that's very important. Oh
2: man, the three, <laughs> I've tr- been trying to turn off from the the game itself in talking, hey, let's look, look at the rest of the West. Oh, that's like oh, look at what Memphis is doing. And now you're pulling me back in, into the focus, right? Of what that last game was in the shooting. The I'm gonna I'm gonna flip what I usually say about shooting, right? Because when I'm saying that shooting doesn't matter to the extent that we talk about it, it's under the assumption that players are going to be able to hit a baseline level of threes, right? Like, hey, I go and if you haven't been to an NBA game, and I, and I assume that most people that have listened to this podcast have had the opportunity to go to to at least a couple. Um, I know it's harder for the international uh, group for sure, but like just watch the guys warm up. You know that is that is the place to start, and you will see such a ridiculous degree. <laughs> Of three-point shooting makes. Let's take buddy. Uh three point shooting makes Pete that it 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 inspires like a certain level of confidence in how this is. And then I brought up OKC the other day because of the way that they're coming into their shooting. Um and the rhythm that their shooters are in because of the regularity of their offense, because of the way that Shea's able to break things down. And against Miami, I I wasn't surprised that almost all of those threes missed. Such was the lack of rhythm and such was the lack of the ball going to the place at the right time. That's not to say all of them were like that. There were some that were perfectly placed uh, threes like LeBron tossing out to a corner shooter who was wide open and those went out. But when when the, the rhythm is not there as a team, I think each guy individually feels that upon the release. Uh, and and it's it's a hard thing to explain without just playing basketball and like going to play pickup basketball, but there were there were so many attempts along those lines that it was troubling. Uh, and and I guess the way I would put it is, it's not. If you would have told me that that was the, one of the worst shooting performances the Lakers have ever had as a team, I'd have been like, yeah, uh, that's kind of what it looked like from the way that <laughs> the shots were coming.
1: Yeah, it's like the that point that the events leading up to it. You know, uh, by contrast, OKC has nine guys shooting over 40% that are either in the rotation or adjacent to it um and a big part of that and these are a lot of guys that are not you know reputationally these super high level three point shooters but if you watch OKC play they're so coordinated they're so organized that the rhythm is what happens leading up to the shot mike and so the the shot is Not to be obvious, but the shot is the result of the events that are leading up to the shot. Whereas I think a lot of times when we talk about three-point shooting, we only talk about the shot that's taken. And it's sort of this passive, like, uh, make or miss league. It either goes in or it doesn't. But it's like, no, if you – there are ways to get guys good shots where it's a a good, hard – Uh, drive and kick into a shooter's pocket, right? It's the swing, swing passes that Darius always talks about. There's a way to do it that if you watch the Lakers compared to an OKC, compared to a Miami, like the events leading up to the shots are nowhere close. So of course they're not in that sort of rhythm. And that to me is the crux of everything right now, Mike, is that this is not an organized basketball team to the point that it needs to be. Every time we've been good this year has been LeBron throwing his fastball and Anthony Davis being freaking amazing. And then everybody kind of jumping on board with that. But the winds have been kind of these high ball pressure energy type of winds that are not necessarily like there's a level of coordination required within that for sure. But it isn't a sort of, it, but it isn't the base ingredient of being good at that yeah. style of basketball, you know? And so we're not organized in ways that a lot of other uh, NBA teams are. And it's like, these nights happen on a fairly regular basis, Mike, maybe not to this degree, but we've had a lot of nights where it's like, Oi, Lakers were outscored by 12 tonight from the line, 18 tonight from the from the three-point line, that are a result of the events that lead up to the shot.
2: Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. They're, uh, I'm trying to think about, the organization of the team that happened quickly last year at the deadline. So once, so once they get Vanderbilt, once they get Russell, once they get Beasley and Beasley was starting for the first several, several games there. I don't remember having like a lot of these types of conversations, even though there were, you know, there were bad shooting nights, certainly. And they, and teams were packing the paint, but it, it did seem like they were just doing like, we were talking about other issues, you know, uh, at the time. And, and so what happened? Like what was the thing that changed? And I guess the the systemic part of it was mm-hmm. the five out, like trying to go to that um in the off season. And then since then it's been just the multiple that trying the searching for the lineup and the the players they're going to work together and the differences among them. But
1: that but mike LeBron missed over half of the games last at the end of last season, where we were good, where we closed out the season. What with that like nineteen and eight record, he missed fifteen games in that stretch. So if you ever have an excuse of like, oh, we don't have the ability to organize or or look good in in this respect, it's then right. And so yeah. the first and foremost the lakers were actively climbing the mountain at that point so you have the game to game we have to do this lock in mentality from a lebron and ad that you're just not going to you were making this point in yesterday's pod where it's like lebron only has so many energy points to allocate at this time of the season whereas that time of the season was go time in a lot of ways right
2: no yeah yeah it, it's and so this is just the this is again the the lebron point again and so for ad you can you can give him the ball a ton, but you can't really run a whole offense through him. You know, and that's not how NBA offenses really work. Uh, Like there's a couple exceptions, maybe what what Jokic does, but Jokic is a totally different type of player and maybe the best Mm -hmm. offensive center of all time, Uh, you know, with, with Kareem and uh, in Wilt in Shaq in that mix. Like it's just a, The the offense has to come and generated just literally from the bringing the ball up the floor and like the and like where the spacing is and I I guess at the end of the day would just love them to get back to the part of it that that they know for sure worked and the and and then even that Pete will be a change from what they've been doing started that way it would and that'll be
1: the the Vanderbilt injury threw threw a wrench into that to a certain degree and then trying to replace Vando with. Prince when Prince is such a different type of player had a cascading type of effect, but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's going to be another change. Yeah.
2: And there's part of, there's, there's part of the plan of the, of the five out that, that I understood. And like, as Likewise. we were hearing it described in the preseason and the right. And, and there's part of it that made sense. And I think we even, we did a couple episodes about, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, like trying to modernize it. Some trying to, um to not allow teams to load up quite as much like around the ways that they were with LeBron and AD. And, and so I just, I think it's, it's difficult to scrap something, uh, but that maybe, maybe that's just the point that has to happen now.
1: I think it does. Like, so first of all, going to, a zone, like switching your scheme only matters to the degree that you pay attention to the details within it. So like we've gone to a zone a few times defensively this season. It never looked the way that Miami's looked last night. And just like standing in the formation does not accomplish anything in and of itself. And five out basketball is more station to station basketball. It's more passing intensive. It's more player movement intensive. Whereas we went into it it were largely a pick and roll in isolation type of style. And so to that point about like, why weren't we having these conversations about this last year beyond just the LeBron and AD are locked in and it's go time, et cetera, et cetera, is the reason Mike, why four out style basketball is so prominent on the AAU level is because AAU teams rarely ever practice. And so it provides a spatial environment that's sort of like this blank template where it's like you can get any five guys that if you know the four out type of spacing and the principles within that. And when we say this, I want to be clear because it's not like we're not running any four out right now, but it's about your running lanes. How do you run from defense back to offense? What spots on the floor do you run to? And we currently run to five out type of spacing. And what that does a lot of times is shrink those gaps. We talked about this a lot earlier in the season, Mike, but this is why teams run that four out in the AAU and why it it looked like fish to water a lot of times last year as well. I would also argue that we really miss Dennis. We really miss one more guy that can get downhill and uh, penetrate against a defense, especially in this style of play. If you're going to run pick and roll style of basketball, if you're going to, you know, do that more ISO ball handler style of play, having a speed guy that can get to the rack that said, Austin's been getting better at this and has figured out the five out from an individual standpoint in terms of getting to the rim pretty well. And I think there's something to build off, off of this, Mike, but yeah, that's, that's the thing to me is that like, if you're not going to practice like five out is a really coordinated type of spacing where you can't just like beat your guy off the dribble because the nearest help defender is closer. And, but if you know how to move it from station to station, you can get some really good looks, but if you're not practicing, and if you're not, if you don't have a ton of guys, who've got a good amount of IQ in terms of cut, you know, screen, swing the ball type of basketball, then it's going to look really stagnant. And so that's something that if they wanted to make, that that's one of the benefits of four out though, and that you can make that type of change in terms of your running lanes. And it is intended to work fairly early on. I just think it also has a ceiling, which is part of why I was excited to try some of the five out stuff, but we never got deep into the deep enough into the sequence of, of like how to be coordinated at it. And so now it's just this like stagnant, stuffy, even constipated type of offense.
2: Mm. There you go. Second constipated (laughs) reference again. Uh, I won't make a personal note about it this time. Yeah. So Memphis and they have a chance to turn it around. Uh, I think what, what are they going to find to galvanize it? You know, what is, what is that going to be? Who's going to lead it? You know, that I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out because I don't know that there's one super obvious answer. We just talked about changing an entire scheme, right. Uh, right? Back to what it was, and changing the lineup back again, and and I don't know that that the solution to this is going to be changing a lineup yet again, right? Which would be like a four straight game, um, and that's a tough spot, right? That's a tough spot to be in. So uh, never a dull moment, Pete, out here in Lakerland.
1: Never exactly, and honestly, Mike. So long as we're in this period of changing lineups one after the other, the one that we stick with has to be one that works. Like the the next one that they go with really has to work from a spirit and energy and belief type of standpoint. right? And so if, since we're already in this period of time where there's that degree of transience, like you gotta find that one first, of which I don't think, I honestly don't think Cam in the starting lineup is is part of the version that we plant our feet in the ground and, and go forward on. But um, it's very important that, that we nail this. All right, like you said, never a dull moment. The Lakers play on Friday. We'll probably be back on Monday to discuss that uh, for the next one. But until then, you can listen to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got
1: it. Magic fires. It's game. Yeah, the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Here the Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It. It's on the way.
2: No! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding
0: me? Kobe,
2: hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking
0: to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game.
2: Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell.
0: There's the it's move, good. two, going. one, missing. It's, it. 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 it's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. And